everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about The Fall of Babel, the fourth book in the Books of Babel series by Josiah Bancroft. So let's climb to the magic of books. First off, we'll try and keep this non-spoilery for a few minutes. I loved this book. This book, again, is, as Josiah Bancroft has proven, they are so well-written. They are so unique. His prose is beautiful and concise, yet fulfilling enough to like to explain everything without being overly wordy. His character choices are on point. I just love this book as a concluding series. It is amazing. It answers enough questions that you're satisfied, but has enough questions that you're excited for more. Where everyone ends up is perfect. You love to see it when a book just checks all the boxes of what it's set out to do when it ends that you never you don't feel shorted by one thing or another that it wasn't too overexplained but you get enough to know that it was done well the pacing was pretty good throughout the book you keep you at a steady pace there were a couple parts that I didn't like that I want to talk about once we get into a little bit of the spoilers but Nothing that really threw me off too hard. I could say that the first half-ish of the book was just difficult for me to get into, but that's more of a me issue than a book issue. I think if you like what's going on in that first one, you'll really enjoy the first half of the book as well. And I enjoyed it. It just was a little tougher for me to really get into and want to keep going. It didn't have that draw where all I want to do is read the book and finish and see what happens next like it did in the other half of the book but it did continue to make me want to keep reading like it wasn't bad to send me away a little bit of non-spoilery thing here I love the chapter headings that he wrote in the book they were phenomenal and he had a different style for each character without telling you exactly which character it was and I thought that was a great decision a stroke of genius so that was a plus. And as with all the other books, this is, of course, a very character-driven story. And the plot does take a minor backseat, or more of a side seat, I would say. But the plot continues on hand by hand as the characters really drive the story. And I can appreciate this. Usually, uh, I like a really good plot story. I like the the plot and the way the world works and those kind of things. But... A good character story can really make it just as good, if not better. And and this one did have a great, it was very character driven. The character elements feel very realistic, very amazing. So, And I do have to say the ending. If anybody here predicts the ending, you're a better reader than I. Because the ending pretty much came out of nowhere for me. And... I liked it. I'm not, I can't say I didn't like it. I, I would wish that it was more and I could see what happens to certain characters afterwards. Uh, but no, it's a, it's a great ending. So I think we're just going to have to talk about spoilers now. So be warned, this will be spoiling the whole book. Um, and let's just uh, kind of give a, a small plot summary of what's going to happen in, the, in this book. We start with Adam in the city of Nebos. And it is like a utopia, and he is living, and he learns things, and he finds out what happens to people's eyes when they're taken. 
Meanwhile, at the same time, Senlin is in the Hot King, and he is working with Luke Marat. Not working, working with, but trying to sabotage while remaining his good graces to keep his life and get up the tower. While we also have uh, Edith and the State of Arm going around trying to collect the last of the paintings. And then they all converge, and they meet up in the Sphinx. They turn it on, and I'm going to save what happens for the very end. So... Let's just talk about some things I had a little bit of an issue with. I just really struggled with Adam's character in this book. Not that it was well-written or well-received. It just, I I didn't find him as interesting in this book. He has always been more of a side character in the previous books to me. And I really feel like the books of Babel are the story of, you know, Senlin and Maria. And while Adam's story was very important to tell, and it served a great purpose... It just didn't land as much for me. Like, I was invested in parts of it, but other parts I was like, huh, okay, let's just cut that out. Like, that's a little bit long. I don't really, I just didn't feel as invested in him. And again, that's all on me. So, what you know, if you liked Adam, that's great. He does a good thing. I loved the city of Nebos and seeing that it's this utopia, but nobody cares about anything because they have all their needs met. And they do these plays with people's eyes, and you learn that the eyes and the reclaimers that pull their eyes out were supposed to be used on like very important people or people who had like extreme skill and one talent and they could replicate that feeling or that learning like here's how to take care of a bush like okay i'll see i can see exactly what this person's doing and then i know how to take care of the bush now you get no sound of course and so it's kind of like a, a weird way But then you get the parlor that just goes off on their own and is like, oh, we're just going to send you eyes of people that break the rules. And they're like, no, 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 we don't want the eyes of people who break the rules. Like, you're, uh, this is not what it's meant for. And then they're like, no, no, we're going to keep doing it anyway. This is the the tax the bricklayer wants. And they're like, the bricklayer's here. He doesn't want that. And learning that the bricklayer died, I was like, what? How is this possible? Like, we get to see him. I loved seeing the bricklayer in those flashback scenes. I loved the that they've turned the eyes into, like, their multimedia experience to see the outside world. And just as a great depiction of a people and a great depiction of a scene, I felt Adam and Adam's love story was a little bit rushed. Uh, can't really fault it too much, though. So let's move on to another character really quick. Let's talk about... Senlin and Luke. Now, I thought, again, Senlin does an awesome job. He concocts his plan. He sucks up to Luke in just the right ways. And Luke is such a hypocrite and a a slimeball that you really are meant to hate him. And it's very easy to do that because he's a horrible person. You know, he reveals that he has his golden legs working. And then he kills everybody in the compartment. Because he says they're not ready. It's like, well, come on. Like you like it, it goes into it so well. He he can see exactly what kind of a hypocrite he is. Oh, the Hods aren't smart enough for the words, except for what I tell them. And I love to have the words and to philosophize and to think the big thoughts. And it was just, you know, that's what it is. And you you know that he's that hypocrite. Um, the one thing that the other things I did not love about the Luke and the Sunland chapters were the fellow Wakemen that have fallen under Luke's control and Gedge. The other Wakemen felt very one-dimensional to me in a world of completely realized characters. 
they all had a grudge with the Sphinx and they all, you know, had turned away and they were all just kind of crazy. I want to just kill people and follow Luke. Um, and it just, like, I could see one of them, but all of them, they just had, they felt like they had no flavor or dimension to them beyond a few superficial things. Doesn't impact my feelings about the whole book in general, just about the Wakeman. And Gedge, uh, he was like super smart and yet he decided the best thing to do was build a suit of armor to house himself in and that he could pilot like a mini mech that nah, just i felt like yes you guys are advanced if you have the elixir but it's not that cool like it just that felt a little extreme and let me just say it in the hot excuse me in the hot king book i grossly misunderstood misunderstood how big the hot king was that's all on me. I was kind of picturing it like uh, like a car size or like two car size maybe. Like that kind of big. Uh, no, this is like huge. Like as big as a house. It fits hundreds of hods in it working all together. I love those scenes. Uh, the fight between it and the state of the arm. That was great. And then when the Hod King is destroyed and the little mini Hod King, you know, shoots out and escapes that was quite good as well so i was a little yeah iffy on the technology advancement that was pushed forward just in this book like the hot kick itself i thought was really great but gedge the wakeman being so smart and always just coming up with these things it just felt a little off to me but i really did love it other than that um edith edith and maria and iren and voletta all on the state of arm so many great scenes. Um, I really can't talk about all of them. I loved Edith and Maria's kind of like tenuous relationship where they're talking and they're trying to communicate, but they both know that Edith and Senlin kind of were at least mentally unfaithful because Senlin had thought that she, that Maria had rejected him before he knew about his child. And I really enjoyed the scenes with Byron being you know, so humanized as this dear creature person. And there were so many good scenes with him. I loved, just loved the scene where the Duke Wilhelm has got on the ship of the state of the arm while they're away. And he is attacking and he, he shoots Byron and he's chasing Maria and she decides, oh, I'm going to fight. And you get, and also being there willing to fight and kind of, they stop him and then, he, he's gone crazy and he just shows his obsession with Mario. You know, if I can't have you, no one will. And then Byron walks up and he's like, how? Oh, I shot you in the heart. And Byron's like, ah, oh, well, you see, I don't have a heart. Bang with the crossbow. That was a great one-liner. And the book is full of so many good one-liners. I loved it. I thought, man, that was a great little scene. Um, yeah, I kind of, the, the death fake out with Byron was a little meh, but yeah, I pass over that. That's just fine. So they are trying to collect the portraits, of course, to open the lock. Luke actually manages to collect more of them. He opens it up, and then they get some more information from the Sphinx. Uh, Edith does uh, through a recording because the Sphinx is dead. As we knew she had you know, basically said she was going to die in the last book. So they learn that you got to be in Nebos or around it. Uh, I just, there's so much I I, could, I wish I could talk about with all these scenes. You know, almost go through the book chapter by chapter, but that would be incredibly boring for all of you listening. So let's just uh, 
move on. I really want to say, though, that uh, Josiah Bancroft really knew how to play with the tension very well in this book, that he would accelerate the tension and you would you would feel it kind of tensing and getting stressful and stressful and then he'd ease off on a little bit and you'd feel a little bit able to relax and to like, he knew how to, to work that tension to his advantage to keep you engaged and yet not overwhelm you with tension all the time. So that was just great. Let's talk about the relationship between Maria and Senlin near the end of the book when they all get to Nebos. And so let's talk about it. Nebos, the city is actually a spaceship, which blew my mind that the Nautilus is a an engine and the slow water is keeping it, it all contained. Um, I loved it. I That was just, a, it blew my mind. I was like, what? It's a spaceship and where's it going? And Voletta talking to the bricklayer through the medium and being like, what are we doing? I need to do this. How do we do this? And that was cool. And it showed her struggle with life and death and that they're the captain and the, the navigator of the spaceship is amazing. But back to Senlin and Maria, that Maria, you know, goes back to her maiden name for a little bit. And Senlin, you know, obviously is sad about that, but, you know, things happened. And I love, though, where it leaves off that they have basically, in my mind, they've started reconciling. They've talked, they've been talking at least. And it looks like they are going back to, you know, get back together. And that's how it happens in my mind. And so you can't convince me otherwise. I did not expect Senlin to go back to teaching the people of Nebos and the all the Hod children that were able to be saved because, you know, Nebos was originally built as a refuge for the Hods. And then he was stopped by the, the bricklayer was killed. Killed. Not really. Um, so good. It was great. I did love that Senlin... For all of his, you know, brains and the stories about him, he never, he changed, don't get me wrong, he changed a lot, but he never became, like, the fighter. He was always the scared one, the running around, the trying to use tricks, the man with words and teaching. I loved it. I I thought it was amazing. And then at the very end of the book, it has the uh, the map of the ringdoms and all of the exports, and I thought that was hilariously on point, and it was a great addition to the very end of the book. So some of the exports that I really thought was fun was they export debts, they export questions, fees, mysticism, and syphilis. And so I was just like, oh, that's so funny. I love that we got to see all these different these different ringdoms. You know, I I loved it. This is a great book, definitely a 5 out of 5 for me. It's definitely worth reading, and it's an exceptional example of Josette Bancroft's skill and the fact that it was started as a self-published work and then was picked up later just really speaks to to his skill and his ability. And before I sign off, I just want to say I loved Redelman's character, that he is just so funny. He's like the needed comic relief without being like overtly funny or like pointed and made fun of and that he makes it through the end to be in the spaceship and the controls is basically the ai i love it now the real questions you know where is the tower going i mean where is nebos going the spaceship is it going to the bricklayer are there's other towers in other worlds we know are they all going to the same place are they going to fight in a war of space 
and the, this will transport them, and then they'll be the best and the brightest, and they'll go forward. You know, I don't know. But, sorry, one more thing. I gotta say it. The foreshadowing and the hints of what Nebos is, they are definitely seeded throughout the earlier books. You can see the progression that it goes, and so I thought that was uh, masterfully done. So, that is going to wrap up my discussion of The Fall of Babel by Josiah Bancroft. You know, thanks to everybody for listening again. Thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. You know, if you've really got any questions or comments or book series you want me to read, just uh, send those to libromancypod at gmail.com. And I'm still working on getting that calendar up to date and, and on track, but you can follow me and what I'm reading there. You know, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And remember to climb up to the magic of books. Mm-hmm.